really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just shoot me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, we have a lot to cover this week, so with all the admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So, as always, we start with current updates, and I'll tell you, so my, my son, he starts T-ball in just a couple of weeks, and I'm just all a tizzy about it. I, I don't know how to feel at all. So, on one hand, he's a natural with the bat. He, he's been swatting ground rule, ground rule doubles off of our fence ever since he was like three. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, he's not that socially acclimated just yet because of, well, you know. And uh, on top of that, uh, he's, he's a bit of a poor sport about losing or even getting behind. Uh, he's never been part of a team before. Uh, so I got him a practice tee, a nice new bat, a cool glove, and a bunch of actual baseballs so we can practice. But then he was very resistant to even giving it a try this weekend. So if, if you're a listener with any coaching experience at all with little kids, do me a favor and drop me a line and just to give me some hints. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not setting my expectations high. I'm not expecting him to become some sort of super athlete or professional. Um, if he never even gets into sports and has other interests instead, that is totally fine. I want to encourage whatever it is that he finds he has passion for. But right now, I just feel a little bit of a, a little adrift with this whole thing. So hit me up if you can. He's stupid. He's stupid. People have to know. No, Isa, unfortunately, it's rather sad news this week with Ireland and Leinster flanker Dan Levy retiring from rugby at the age of 27 due to a persistent knee injury. This has been just confirmed a few days ago. Uh, Levy's knee problems started with a horrific injury against Ulster two years ago that caused, has caused problems since, and he was advised by his doctors to call time on his career. Quote, I've done everything I can to come back from the knee injury, but unfortunately I can't do any more or ask any more of my body, Levy said. I've had some amazing highs with my brothers in blue and green, and I'm beyond grateful for those days and those moments, especially the highs of 2018, he said. This is not the end I'd hoped for, but as I look back at the highs and lows, they will all been shared with the best teammates, family, and friends around me. What more could I ask for, unquote. So, Dan, we here at the Scrum of the Earth wish you all the best in the, whatever you choose to uh, pursue next. I'm sure it's going to be great. Moving on to our thoughts of the week, you know, folks, I am still buzzing about the incredible win by Italy over Wales in the recent Six Nations, and I, I found a cool little article which said, in part, Kieran Crowley's first win as Italy head coach didn't come without adversity. The team reached rock bottom on several occasions this tournament because of crushing losses, replacement rumors, and that infamous 13-man defeat. However, what counts moving forward towards the 2023 Six, uh, Six Nations and Rugby World Cup? is that Italy are trending upwards in every way possible. In terms of player talent, they have a squad of raw young players that improved as this year's Six Nations progressed. They will only get better. Their captain, the superb Michel Lamaro, has proved that he is the man for the job going forward after having put in one of the grittiest performances in the tournament, ever seen by a flanker with 86 tackles made in the 377 minutes he played. Woo! Italy also saw a star rise from within their ranks in the form of debutante fullback Ange uh, Capuzzo. I'm sure I'm butchering that name. I apologize. 
Uh, but his heroics won Italy their first Six Nations game under Crowley after 36 winless results previous to this triumph. So, you know, to be fair, I've done a lot of comp uh, complaining about the quality of the matches involving Italy, mostly because I deeply wish they were just better and had a more promising future. But this year, I really honestly believe I saw some of those roots starting to grow between the, the under-20s getting record-setting wins and then the senior squad finding a victory in Cardiff. I just think there are legitimately good things ahead for Italy. Let's hope so. Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews and welcome back to European rugby. Of course, the EPCR was back this weekend for the Heineken Cup and the Challenge Cup. On Friday night, it was Connacht at home versus Leinster. And, you know, despite my anticipating a complete blowout, I was very excited to get back to European action. As you know, I like complaining about how obtuse the tournament format is, but I still love, love, love the actual rugby. Of course, my blowout prediction was predictably way off. My guys managed to keep it close the whole way. Despite a hat trick from New Zealand-born James Lowe, it was only a two-point affair in the end stages, 21-23 in favor of the visitors, with about six minutes left. Come on, Connacht, I wrote. Alas... They couldn't really get it together. Leinster, they added a penalty. And while it was definitely no blowout, it was still another loss for my guys from Galway. A very disappointing way to finish this one for sure. Moving on to Saturday. It was Bordeaux-Begla. They were at home for La Rochelle. Bordeaux, they dominated time of possession but couldn't translate, uh, translate that onto the scoreboard very well. They dropped a home game in palindromic fashion, 13-31. to uh, La Rochelle, they looked powerful and explosive every moment they had the ball, while Bordeaux-Begla's whole plan of attack pretty much looked to be, we smash, which was not very effective. Uh, despite the one-sided nature of this one, I still absolutely ate it up. These are two teams I never get to see playing in a gorgeous stadium I never get to see. The crowd are all complete lunatics. The noise, the atmosphere, it was just awesome. This is exactly why I love this tournament. Moving on next, it was Sale versus Bristol. Wasn't the most exciting match, but it was certainly close. The day started wet and windy, and both sides looked sort of ill-equipped to handle the conditions for some reason. Uh, but I guess it doesn't really rain in the UK that much, right? Right, 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 you guys? <laughs> anyway, uh, things shaped up as the sun came out, though, and things dried out a little bit. It was 6-3 to three in favor of the home side until very late, and then kapow! Semirandrandra. He broke away and dusted some sharks to get Bristol their very first lead of the day with only 10 minutes or so to go. So Semi, he was just shedding tacklers left and right, and he just disintegrated Rob Dupria. And the comms said, Dupria has in the long cleats, too. I was worried he'd get screwed into the turf and we'd never get him out again. <laughs> they were on fire this week. More on that soon. Love it. So Sale, they were threatening deep, but Luatua got a massive, brilliant turnover. Bristol looked very strong. I forgot to mention, once again, we were lucky enough to have Philippa Tuddyett on, I think it's Tuddyett, on comms, and she pointed out, one of those oddities about this phase of the Heineken Cup, which is, I now, at long last, finally gather, the teams that play each other this week then switch venues and play each other again next week, and, the way she described it, it is the highest aggregated score that gets a team to advance. So, thanks for that. So, with about three and a half minutes left, down four, Sale chose to kick a penalty rather than going to the corner. It was shocking to see that until she explained it. Phew, <laughs> dodged a bullet that time, but uh, what a weird format. On another note, does Charles Piatau have the most incredible hair on earth? Dude could stick his head out of a, the cockpit of a, an F-14 and it wouldn't even move. It's inhuman. In any event, Sale, they did have a final shot with the clock in the red, putting together nine phases before kind of controversially turning it over. Sheedy kicked it out to end things with an away win, 9-10 to 10 in a squeaker. Next up was Toulouse versus Ulster. Wow. 
man, I haven't seen or heard a stadium jumping like it was in Toulouse for a very long time. What an unbelievable atmosphere. Toulouse, they came out very strong, scoring quickly and easily, and to me, Ulster just looked a, a bit overmatched. Might just be the incredible home field advantage, but we would have to see. So naturally, right after I said how much better the home team looked, they committed a reckless bit of foul play and got one of their wingers red-carded. McComb said, can Ulster take advantage of the extra man? Well, <laughs> the answer very quickly turned out to be yes. Yes, they definitely can, as Balakun had a lovely try in the corner. And all of this was within the first 12 minutes of play. But the crowd, boy, oh boy, they were not dispirited, seeming to get even louder after that. They love last year's champs. Going into the break, Toulouse led 13-7. to It was a good one. Ulster, they finally figured things out in the second half, taking their first lead to go up 13-19 to when Balakun stole an errant pass and ran it all the way in untouched to make it 13-26 to after the extras. And then shortly after that, a grisly injury to a Toulouse player saw him leaving on a stretcher. But despite the adversity, Toulouse scored again to make it 20-26. to But that was where it ended. Unbelievable. Ulster notching a surprising come-from-behind away win. Really huge against the reigning champs. A shocking outcome that time. Men, uh, not meanwhile, but next, Exeter. We're at home for Munster. This one looked incredibly juicy on paper, but, you know, with both of these clubs, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. <sighs> Immediately, the legions of dimwits started in with the tomahawk chop champ crap. God, it's hard to watch this team. Anyway, it was, I admit, kind of nice to see Stuart Hogg get one of his trademark tries in the corner. The Chiefs would add another for a 10-0 halftime lead, and 15 minutes later, Munster still couldn't seem to do anything right. Just before the three-quarter mark, however, Exeter got yellow carded, leading to the first three points for Munster, and then they got another yellow card, giving the visitors a two-man advantage at a critical moment. However, ugh, Munster, they committed a clear penalty at the lineout. Exeter got it right back, out of the blue. Hoggy bagged what I was shocked to hear is his first career drop goal. That just blew my mind. That extended the lead uh, to 13-3. to Amazing. The Chiefs, their defense was incredible, to be fair, and Munster repelled at the goal line over and over again. It was really something to see. Sure enough, the home team would escape with a 13-8 victory, and will start the leg next leg up five points. Let's hope that uh, Munster managed to show up when they're actually back at home. Finally, we had Stade Francais versus Racing 92, a, a very one-sided affair as it turned out. Racing, uh, Racing dominating the juice boxes 9-22 by the end, with the home team failing to even get a single try. Nice to see Finn out there, though. But I got to tell you, I really wish that guy would take a vacation of some sort just to get back to 100% health-wise. He is not there at the moment. So then on Sunday, we had Montpellier versus Harlequins. And my friends, please, no spoilers, because I have decided to save this one. Let me live, peoples! <laughs> anyway, then it was Claremont versus Leicester. I admit, I was pretty worried going into this one. You know, Tigers are atop the entire Prem by some margin, while Claremont, I saw, I just then looked it up, are 11-11 and 11 on the year in, in the uh, the top 14. Right at the top of the match, the comms pointed out that not one of the Claremont forwards were part of France's most recent Six Nations campaign, and my blowout alert started ringing even before kickoff. By the way, I earlier uh, I, I earlier called Stade Francais the juice boxes because of the, the whole Capri Sun thing, so that must make Claremont the Michelin Man, to the extent that the Michelin Man is even their actual mascot. You've got to love this stuff. Anywho, right around the uh, the five-minute mark, Freddie Stewart took the most punishing hit I've ever seen in rugby and was down so long they eventually had to stop play. When he sat up again, he looked like a man barfing up his own lungs. But to his credit, I guess, he would get back up and back into the game. He is either ridiculously brave or equally dumb. 
Uh, in any event, Claremont, they booted a perfect 50-22, got a lovely try out of it. But Ellis Genge answered, answered back, man, oh, man, he's in some form these days. Just a one-man wrecking ball, and there was no stopping him this time. There will be no one to stop us this time. So it was tied at 10 as we approached halftime, and Benjamin Kaiser, I think it's Kaiser, it might be Kaiser. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his. He's so good. And on comms, he said, George Ford decides to run with the ball, but unfortunately, he ran into another center who looks like a piano. <laughs> this weekend has to take the gold medal for comms. It just keeps coming. By the way, not too many, uh, that was the second comment like that I heard too, and there's just not too many walks of life where somebody can refer to you as a bulldozer or a piano, and you're like, hey, all right, that's great. Anyway, right as the half was ending, Claremont were very lucky to get away with a heinously forward pass right in the shadows of their own posts. If the ref had been watching, it could have been a catastrophe, but it would end thing with things level. Thankfully, my blowout fears were unfounded. Continuing the incredible run by the comms as uh, Lester scored another try to take the lead and George Ford shanked the conversion way to the right, they said, if there was a second set of goalposts, he genuinely would have missed those as well. Gold, you guys, gold. Anyway, Tigers, they got another try to make it 10 to 22, and the comms say it's been 17 years since they've won here. What a result this could be. Lester looked to have all the momentum at that point. We got momentum, baby! We got the big mo! At the three-quarter mark, Lester got a red car that almost caused an absolute meltdown in the comms, the comms booth. But a dozen points looked like a huge mountain to climb at that point, when Claremont especially hadn't scored a single point in the second half. So despite the man advantage, it was Harry Potter breaking away and scoring yet another try for the visitors, and this one was officially put out of reach. And by the way, for the 38th consecutive week, I will resist the urge to make a Harry Potter joke of some kind. Anyway, Lester, they widened their lead even further to make it 10 to 29 with less than 10 minutes to go. And the wheels had fully come off the Claremont wagon. Just not a good showing for the final 40. According to the comms, Lester turned this afternoon into, quote, a bucket full of French frustration, unquote. And I guess, you know, plus ça change pour ces même shows, right? <laughs> so, of course, concurrently, we also had the Challenge Cup action. And the two Friday fixtures were Edinburgh versus Poe and Breve versus Saracens. And today I learned they still aren't streaming these fixtures. I mean, pr probably for the best in many ways, as we ended up with two eerily close results for those first two, Breve rolling over and playing dead to the tune of 5-55, to 55, while in an almost perfect mirror image, Edinburgh were happy to shovel some dirt on the desiccated corpse that is Poe, 54-5. to 5. You can't make this stuff up, people. Anyway, on Saturday, Benetton were at home for Perpignan, and Benetton, they got themselves a nice win against a fully switched-off French side, but hey, a wins and win in Europe, and it was 17-7 to 7 in the end. Uh, Biarritz versus Toulon. Biarritz barely edged out the team I'd assumed they would make mincemeat out of. A lovely home win at the aptly named Parc de Sports. 20-17 <laughs> was the score. Then Newcastle versus Zebre. Newcastle, perhaps embarrassingly, managed the very same margin, winning by only three against possibly the worst team in all of Europe. 25-22. to 22. I feel like nobody on earth was truly happy about that result. And then finally, of course, Dragons versus Gloucester, with Gloucester winning on the road, putting away the Dragons at Rodney Parade, 21-26 to by the time all was said and done. So moving on to Women's Six Nations. On Saturday, England obliterated Wales to the tune of 58-5, to scoring 10 tries to 1, just a thorough beatdown once again. They again didn't even need penalty kicks, and uh, Lark Davies and Jess Breach, which is a great name for a try scorer, by the way, both got braces for themselves, while Wales got, well, nothing, really. 
Anyway, next, Scotland found themselves getting smacked around at home, though to be fair, they managed to hold France scoreless entirely for all of the second half, which has to be some sort of moral victory. Uh, Laure Sans, uh, I don't know if it's Sansus or Sansu, uh, got two of France's, France's four tries, while Chloe Raleigh got the only home, uh, try for the home team late on and much to the delight of the faithful fans in Glasgow. Then, on Sunday, Ireland struggled more than I thought they would to defeat Italy, leading only 10-3 at the half and ended up winning 29-8 at Musgrave Park in Cork. Ireland got four tries plus a penalty try to Italy's one, and it was a comfortable, if not emphatic, win for the Irish. So, after round three, France and England both still entertain hopes of a Grand Slam, while the have-nots continue to do so, so to speak. So, of course, moving on, it was round 10 of Major League Rugby. Saturday had uh, four matchups on that day and two on Sunday. And I'm going to start with Toronto at home versus D.C. And the Arrows, they finally got a home win. It came at the expense of the hapless team from D.C. who shared the ignoble position of being 0-9 with the Dallas Jackals. Though they did make a fight out of it, it was 32-27 to at the very end. Toronto fans must have been going out of their minds. Then, NOLA were at home to face Atlanta. Nola dropped yet another one, this time at home, getting doubled up by Atlanta, 17-34 to by the time the final whistle blew. Houston, another Texas derby here. They were facing off against Dallas. The home team again got the best of this one, with Dallas still unable to notch a win on the year. The Thundercats looked strong at home, scoring 31 points to the Jackals' six. What a long season this has been for the expansion franchise. No kidding. Anyway, naturally, I saved this for the last part of the Saturday fixtures. It was, at home, my Free Jacks, back at Fort Quincy. Facing the Seattle Seawolves, I was once again lucky enough to be there in person. Saturday was the Unicorn Party Festival, and people took it very seriously. I mean, so to speak. One of the season ticket holders who sits right near us uh, it came in a, a cotton unicorn onesie, ostensibly for adults. Uh, it must have been a real bummer for him when the predicted light rain turned into a legit hailstorm. Our players who aren't native to this effed up environment must have been like, what even is this? So if you're a climate change doubter, I dare you to come to a Free Jacks game in March or April. In any event, it was a cracker of a game. Though I have to say, it's two weeks in a row where we got out to a nice lead and then sort of collectively team and audience together just seemed to relax a little bit. Um, Seattle are not a team about which you can ever feel totally relaxed. So sadly, the MLR website is still, I would have to imagine, run by unpaid interns and various volunteers. So there's literally no official play-by-play in there. There's no statistics I could find. There's no summary of any kind available, really. Maybe it'll come later. What I do know is it was even tighter than the week before, which tells me we're due for a loss in the near future. I, I kind of just sniff it. I, I feel it coming. Uh, I know the Eagle got his fourth straight start, but from where I sat, it looked like he maybe could have used the rest a little bit. Uh, I know Bodine Waka's knee is wrapped up to the point of being borderline bionic. I am fearful for how that plays out long term. Maybe we can give the guy a rest sometime soon. Uh, we do have a bye week coming this week. Then we have to travel to Hoboken again to face uh, a pretty hot New Jersey team. Maybe we give them these couple of weeks in a row. You know, it might take that long to unwrap the cyborg-esque contraption they've got sort of borged onto him right now anyway. Anywho, once again, guys, our defense was incredible. As I keep saying, I truly believe the biggest difference for us this year has been in the intangibles department. And I think that is a testament to Scott Matthew and our incredible coaching and support staff. So this one, it had everything. Obviously, an audience predominantly uh, comprised of unicorns is a tough nut to crack for any away team. But we also had a hailstorm, followed by 
eye squinting sunshine, followed by a bit more hail, followed by mist, followed by a combination of clear and cloudy skies with a temperature fluctuating wildly the whole way. Even got a double rainbow, by the way. Anyway, insider insight. Early on, we had, we had scored a try, and Bodine Walker was lining up to slot the extras when a large man loudly walked by, shouting, Why should we be quiet for the kicker? And sure enough, Walker sent it wide. That man, it turned out, was the Seattle fan who was on hand to accept the exchange of game balls at halftime. And after I got to chat with him, he, he was clearly a cool dude. I swear, the rugby crowd is just always superior to any other support, sporting crowd. By a long shot, I would say. Anyway. We did squeak out a win even more closely than the previous week, as I said, taking the victory 24-22, to only a two-point margin, retaining our spot on top of the entire league. If you want to see some amazing images from the match itself, I urge you to follow me on Twitter at UpScrum. There are pictures of me with Broccoli Guy, with my dear friend Phil from the Jack's Rangers podcast, the Waka Waka Girl, a random Scottish guy I met, there's rainbows, there's unicorns, so much more. Even as I write this, it seems increasingly surreal when I look back on it. The Free Jacks, they're absolutely rolling right now. And if you're local, I can't urge you strongly enough to get on board. It's simply smashing. So, in perhaps the tightest contest of the week, my beloved Free Jacks prevailed, as I said, 24 to 22, by the skin of our collective teeth. As I say, next week we're off. And then as Dallas Stanford has succinctly put it just recently when he sat down to talk with us, it is only a bus jersey to New Jersey after that. So, we did have two games on the Sunday. It was San Diego versus Austin and Austin. They are looking supremely dangerous right now, taking down the Legion in San Diego by two converted tries, 21 to 35 by the end of this one. This is a great time to mention. I'll be having a chat with James Dealey, the man behind MLR Stats, on Wednesday of this week. It'll be smashing to look deeper into some of the numbers I find, find out where he gets his numbers because they're always great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that, so stay tuned and watch this space. Anyway, as I say, also on Sunday, LA, we're at home for New Jersey, and my notes simply said, dude, holy crap. So I've been waiting for this result in order to put this episode uh, together, and never, ever did I imagine it would be a blowout, much less a shutout, as the reigning champs absolutely demolished the team from Hoboken. And if my eyes can actually be believed, it was, gulp, 43-0 to zero in the end. Part of me thinks someone might have just hacked the site and sort of posted that score as a joke, but I will double-check when I wake up, if I wake up. <laughs> I'm officially crapping myself over the notion of meeting these monsters in the playoffs. Holy cow, they look good right now. Yikes. So. Just quickly looking at the league, league table, just uh, the, the highlights. Austin, they still look to be in the driver's seat in the West, with LA limping at their heels and San Diego just behind. Here in the East, my Free Jacks are on top, followed by the frequently frightening Atlanta, and then New Jersey, who really got it handed to them this week. Dallas and DC, as we mentioned, are still winless. And while it's hard to imagine two teams in the same league getting blanked, I'm starting to wonder if that's an actual possibility. Note to self, check the MLR schedule. Okay, of course, we also had Super Rugby Pacific, and on Friday, my Highlanders, they were at home to face Moana Pacifica. This was, my guys, clearly our best opportunity for a win so far this season, which, of course, made me all the more nervous. So the Highlanders performed a haka that I've never seen before to start this match. That was an absolute treat, and by the way, Falao Fakataba, he was something else in that spear-tip position. I find myself liking him more and more each and every week. So as it happened... Highlanders would score first and quickly, but Moana, uh, Pacifica, they weren't dissuaded in any way, answering with a penalty only a few minutes later, and then, oh my word, I'm going to need some mother's little helper to get through this one. They scored a fairly easy, they, they scored a try fairly easily to take a lead before 12 minutes had gone by, and this season for us is uh, not, uh, not good. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not good. Okay, okay, I might have overreacted a little bit, because Highlanders, they bounced back, they got a try just before halftime, and then another at the 52-minute mark, 
And I don't know what's up with Mitch Hunt, but all night he was just wanging balls off the uprights. Like he's, I don't know, seeking revenge against the uprights or something. Like they're going to have to replace those posts after tonight for sure. Uh, Moana Pacifica answered back quickly. It was 22 to 17 after 57 minutes. Ugh, you can just imagine how nervous I was. Thankfully, the, whatever the debt of the sticks was, it was apparently paid because Mitch finally relented and let a kick go through instead of smashing them. That gave my guys a two-score advantage with about a quarter hour to go, but of course, anything could happen at that point. Oh, and there he was, the aforementioned Falau Fakatava. He busted one in himself in the relief of Aaron Smith. It was 30-17 to 17 with only 10 minutes left. My guys managed yet another try shortly thereafter, and by that point, Mitch had really found his range, slotting the extras to make it 37-17. to 17. And for some reason, after scoring six tries to two and securing the bonus point, they kept the ball in play after the whistle, but, phew, sanity prevailed. That was the way it ended. At long last, my Highlanders, they notched their first victory of the year. What a relief. Next up, of course, Western Force were at home to face the Rebels. Force didn't look, they didn't look up to much in the first half. They found themselves down 16 points before they got a late try, just before the intermission. But they started strong in the second half, quickly scoring again to make it uh, 10 to 16. Reese Hodge attempted a drop, a drop kick that went way wide, and the comms... <laughs> It was so good. The comms very, very kindly said, didn't have quite enough in terms of direction, which is like the nicest way you could possibly say he absolutely shanked it. That cracked me up big time. Anyway, before the first 10 minutes had elapsed in the second half, they scored yet another try. After utterly shanking the extras, they were back within a point. Shortly after, it was a red card for Ray Nuu, and uh, all the momentum had swung back to the force. A penalty got them their first lead of the match. The Rebels looked a bit baffled out there. But off a scrum penalty, they got a shot at goal, but Matt Tamua sent it off to the left, uh, though he would make up for it shortly thereafter. Rebels had retaken the lead as the red card timer ticked away. So really exciting match, I have to say. It was 18 to 19 with only 10 minutes left and a lovely misty rain started to fall. It was beautiful. Another penalty went the Rebels' way and Hodge built the lead to four. Anyone's game at that point for sure, though. A strange moment with Force kicking the points despite being down four and to make it even weirder, the scoreboard decided to deduct three instead of adding it so that they did go on to fix that. But, you know, they never really threatened again. 21 to 22 was a disappointing result for the home team and a rare road win for the Rebels. On Saturday, then, we had the Hurricanes facing the Crusaders. And they showed an interesting stat ahead of this one, pointing out that the Hurricanes have used five different inside centers over their six matches this year. That's that's fascinating. It was clear what they were pointing out was Jordy Barrett is looking like the best option at this stage. I was absolutely bowled over to see that Jordy leads the league in meters carried. I'm sorry, meters gained, carries, offloads, and defenders beaten. So I, I think I finally have to admit that he is damn good. In any event, they were facing a potential threshing machine in this one, but they started out very well getting the first points and looking strong on defense for sure. Naturally, having pointed out good things about Jordy, he then got smoked by Will Jordan as the Crusaders finally kicked into, uh, clicked into gear. It turned into a, a very tight first half, really exciting stuff, with the home team managing a slim lead, 15-12 to 12 after 33 minutes. Only a minute or so later, Crusaders reclaimed the lead, just a seesaw of a game at that stage. And as always, Artie Savia was looking unreal, shedding and sometimes just dragging defenders with him. It feels like you need basically a tranquilizer gun to put that guy on the ground. So the number of phases, by the way, that teams are willing to go through in this league is mind-boggling when you're watching other European matches. The Hurricanes put together 20 consecutive phases, kind of just for fun, as the half was winding down. Just breathless play. Jordy, he kicked a penalty to retake the lead at the break. 
heading to the locker rooms up 18 to 17. What a result. The, <laughs> I should say, what a result this might be is the way I put it. Anyway, by the time three quarters of this match had gone by, Crusaders were up again. They were up three now, 21 to 24. But it was really anyone's game for the taking, and that's where the score remained with under five minutes to go. They showed a graphic indicating that Hurricanes haven't won at home against Crusaders since March 10th of 2018, which is 1,491 days. Man, oh man. So a scrum to the home side looked to be the final play of the match. They got a penalty deep in Crusaders' territory. What would the call be? What a game this was. So after some weird hemming and hawing on the field, Jordy decided to go for the corner. Holy cow, this is intense, I put. Uh, they got the line out perfectly. They started them all. But then the ball kind of just disappeared in the morass of bodies. The ref blew his whistle and said, game over. Just a very odd ending. The, the Hurricanes players were obviously livid with this controversial call. What a gut punch ending for the for the fans there. Crusaders, they just find ways to win. It, it's absolutely incredible. Though, you know, my semi-secret feeling is that the Blues will be able to beat them this year. Speaking of which, the Chiefs were at home to face the Blues, and this one was all Blues. They, they shut out the Chiefs throughout the first three quarters of the match. It was nothing to 20. Uh, they got another unconverted try to get their bonus point. And the Chiefs had one last shot in the final minutes, but literally just dropped the ball forward to put themselves to bed. Very discouraging performance by them this week. A, a shutout loss at home, nil to 25. I'm only surprised the Blues didn't uh, score you know, twice as much as that. And then finally, it was the Fijian Drua versus the Brumbies. And what a treat I got in this one. Despite being nilled at halftime, it was 0-12. to the passionate Fiji fans, they spontaneously burst into song during the break. It was so beautiful. Just a lovely sound resonating throughout the whole stadium. So cool. Sadly, this didn't really translate into better results on the field. They found themselves down 12-26 to after an unconverted try with a quarter hour to go. A costly turnover right at the end allowed the Brumbies to pad their score, getting a last try after the clock had gone red for a 12-33 victory. Guys, it is hard not to love this Fijian Drua team. They are something special and totally unique in rugby, at least to me. Also, I had reported that there was another uh, sort of a makeup match on Tuesday, but I had seen that date wrong. That's going to be Tuesday, April 12th. Oh, wow, that's tomorrow. So anyway, a quick Super Rugby Pacifica, uh, uh, sorry, Pacific update. The Blues, the Brumbies, the Crusaders, uh, sorry, the Brumbies, the Blues, the Crusaders, and Reds in that order all boast only one loss on the year. Uh, owning those top four spots with 31, 27, 27, and 26 points in that order. The fifth through eight spots are occupied by Waratahs, Chiefs, the Force, and the Hurricanes holding 20, 18, 13, and 11, while the Rebels are the only remaining team in double digits right at 10, followed by the one win apiece Highlanders, Fijian Drua, and Moana Pacifica at 8, 6, and 4. The difference already between the top and the bottom is like falling off a giant cliff. What a year! Of course, it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck, and this week we are offering the prestigious honor to Robert Balakoon. Mr. Balakoon, you grabbed yourself a hat trick in an all-time historic win for your Ulster side, besting the best as you defeated the reigning champions of Europe 26-20 away. It looked like that there were at least two other chances for you to add even more, but in the end, it was your relentless defense and aggressive play without the ball that truly helped your side get their admittedly shocking victory. You were matched up against some of the best players, playing on one of the best sides in the entire Northern Hemisphere, and it was your signature calmness and attention to details that showed your Ulsterman through. 
you somehow, oh my gosh, managed 170 meters made on only 10 carries while gathering 12 tackles, a number only bettered by your team's number two and number seven. You were absolutely everywhere on the pitch and looked poised to continue an absolute breakout year for the team that is firmly planted in second place on the URC league table. I can't think of anyone more deserving of this week's highest accolades. Mr. Robert Balakun, please enjoy all the money, the fame, the attention, the prestige that accompany this highest of awards for congratulations, my friend. You are this week's Diamond in the Rock. Enjoy it. Okay, my friends, that brings us to previews for next week. And Women's Six Nations, they're taking a break next weekend, a, a nice, well-deserved break, but they will pick things back up on April 22nd. Meanwhile, Major League, uh, Major League Rugby Round 11 on April 15th, it's the Desperation Showdown, D.C. at home for Utah. On the 16th, Toronto will be looking for a second home win against NOLA. L.A. will welcome Houston. The Seawolves are back in Seattle for San Diego. And finally, we've got another Texas Derby, this time winless Dallas, facing the powerful Austin team. Then, the URC and the Prem are both off again this week to make way for the EPCR rugby. In those tournaments, we're finally getting down to the nitty-gritty with all the bizarre iterations and permutations finally coalescing into a definite list of fixtures. So on Friday, in the Heineken Cup, it's the inverse of this week, which means it's Leinster at home for Connacht. The Bears are back home for Sale. On Saturday, the Harlequins will be home for Montpellier. Munster will be home for Exeter. La Rochelle will be hosting Bordeaux-Begle. Uh, Leicester will face Claremont at home. Uh, Ulster will be at home for Toulouse. And then on Sunday, Racing will fa face Stade Francais. The all-Paris matchup continues. Also, there is, of course, the Challenge Cup, which also has arrived at its own round of 16. And in theory, these matches actually might be streamed. So on Friday, we hopefully will see uh, the London Irish. They'll be at home for Cast. Biarritz uh, will be hosting Wasps. Lyon will be facing the Worcester Warriors. And Newcastle are hosting Glasgow. On Saturday, it's Toulon versus Benetton, Gloucester versus Northampton, and Edinburgh versus Bath. And finally, on Sunday, we get ugh, Saracens versus Cardiff. Yikes. Then, of course, my friends, finally, in Super Rugby Pacific, as I mentioned, we do have that oddball Tuesday match on the 12th. That one's Hurricanes versus Moana, uh, Moana Pacifica. On Friday the 15th, it's Crusaders versus Blues and Re uh, Rebels versus Reds. On Saturday, it'll be the Chiefs hosting Moana Pacifica. Gosh, they have to play a lot of games these days. Uh, Highlanders versus the Hurricanes. There's some hope for me in that one. And then finally, the Western Force will be facing the Waratahs. And that's going to do it for next weekend, I think. Uh, that is a lot of rugby. I'm not sure how I'm going to fit it all in. I'm going to have to probably uh, do some scores only at some point. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just always great to hear from you. Quick shout-outs. So, friend of the pod, Will Owen, participated in a lovely charity game alongside some of my personal favorite podcasters. And i got to tell you, he was kind enough to share the video with me. I thought that was just smashing. Uh, uh, given his blessing, of course, I will post it on Twitter as soon as possible. Also, recent and recurring guest Craig Manson is celebrating a birthday today. So be sure to follow him and wish him a happy, uh, let's call it, 29th. Um, also, multiplicitous guest John Anderson has been sidelined from his job singing for the prog group Yes, uh, as he's been laid out with a bad bug and could use your messages of love, support, and encouragement, because he deserves it. 
Anyway, as always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can use Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always just email me at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end. And if you like what we're doing here, there's at least one way you can show your support listed in the show notes for this very episode. So thank you all again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. <laughs>